When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here we go. A cold open for an emergency podcast. I'm Eli Sussman, Fish Stripes Managing Editor. It's the Fish Stripes Podcast. As you'll about to hear in just a few minutes, I had pre-recorded a show on Sunday afternoon, looking forward to the week ahead with a focus on two main topics, Pablo Lopez and Starling Marte. You'll be hearing plenty about Pablo. I'm keeping that portion of the pod, but we have to re-record the Starling Marte portion of it because my premise was to make one final idea for a contract extension offer that the Marlins should make to him before exploring trade possibilities. And you know how quickly this stuff can change. Um, According first the national reports by Bob Nightingale and John Heyman indicating that the Marlins were likely to trade Starling Marte instead of find common grounds on a new contract. And now Craig Mish, when he says it, that's when you got to take it to a new level of seriousness. According to Mish here on Sunday night, extension talks are over between Starling Marte and the Marlins. They were never close. They're going to move forward with trade proposals. Less than 12 days until the trade deadline and seems almost certain, just health permitting for Starling, that he will not be a Marlin beyond this trade deadline. Ah, oh, man, this stinks. It's pretty infuriating. I, there's a lot of anger out there. Um, there was pessimism, of course, even prior to this moment, that they weren't going to get a deal done. The fact that they were just so slow to even engage in the topic and that they were trying to work it out in the middle of the season, it's highly unusual to get that stuff done. You can really count on one hand the number of major contract extensions that have gotten done in baseball in recent months because it's just that's not how you approach it if you're really determined to keep that player at a reasonable price for that player. Um, last we heard, I think the best offer that the Marlins made to Starling, uh, according to John Heyman, it was more than $30 million, three years and 30-something million dollars. Um, my idea was for the Marlins, I, I thought a good price for both sides was three years and $47 million, and it, it just doesn't seem like they ever got close to that point. There are... And countless teams, really, that could use Starling. I mean, we've covered this on the pod already. We've covered this across fist stripes that there, I don't think there's any team in baseball that has three outfielders that are better than Starling Marte is, which means that if you plug him in on just about any team in baseball, he makes that team better. So many teams are going to be interested in him. Um, it's So as disappointing as this moment is, it, it opens up a whole lot of, dare I say it, fun conversation about exactly 
what deal the Marlins should take, what they should be looking to get in return, not just in terms of overall value, but you know the specific pieces, the types of player, the level of experience of the players they get in return, the quantity versus quality conversation when it comes to weighing these trade packages. That's that's what we have to look forward to now. Um, with Marte owed close to $5 million the rest of the season at this point. By the time we get to the deadline, it'll be a little under four and a half. So no doubt that's a, that's going to be a priority too for the Marlins that you want to cut some money in a year where they're coming off yet another deflating series against the Phillies, a season worst 13 games below the 500 mark. Um, that We'll be diving into this plenty more for sure. I just wanted to offer this quick prologue before we get into this lengthier discussion about uh, Pablo Lopez. So with Starling, he's going to end up spending less than one calendar year in the Marlins organization, even though he's already had so many key moments, so many great highlights, so many fun reaction gifts. It happened in such a compressed amount of time. Eflin brings home a 2-1 pitch, and Marte hits one high in the air, deep center field. It sends Williams back, and that is into the Phillies' bullpen. Two-run home run for Starling Marte. We talked about some of the struggles at the end of the first half of the season, wanting to get off to a good start. Look at him sit on his backside. Well done. And uh, it's a shame that he has to go. I don't think anything that you get in return for the trade can really measure up to actually having the player himself. We've, We've gone through this over and over and over and over and over again with the Marlins, that no matter how much you like the the talent on paper with some of these prospects, and no matter how much surplus value you think you're getting, it's so rare for these prospects to turn into, you know, actual star, consistent caliber players that really fill the void that you are opening up by trading somebody like Marte. If you've been following Fist Drives, especially on Twitter, you know we have been popularizing the hashtag PayMarte, and now we transition that into trade Marte. Anyway, uh, here's the rest of the podcast and looking forward to a pretty eventful week in the Marlins universe. Enjoy. Hey, yo, here we go. The official show on the Fist Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we bring you Miami Marlins coverage every single day in our own way. This show is presented by our friends at Symbol, the stock market for sports, recording this one in between games on Sunday. Unusual circumstances here where on Saturday in the 10th inning, due to rain, they had to suspend that game, picked it right up on Sunday afternoon, walk-off loss to, the, to JT Real Muto and the Phillies, and as of this recording, they're heading into the series finale at 40 and 52. I'll be watching all these games. That's what I do. I watch them all, or if I have to, I have to listen to them all. I don't know how much of this last one I'm going to watch live. The reality is we know what this team is. There is nothing between now and the July 30th trade deadline that is going to change that. We'll start with Pablo. Shoulder injury. It's a strained right rotator cuff. And there's a chance that he does return this season. Um, As of this recording, no official word from the team. I do have a source on this that my expectation is that we do see Pablo back before the end of the year. 
that this is a bit of a sigh of relief that it's not a severe shoulder injury. You just never know, though. It's easy to put out a timeline, and then as soon as there's a single setback, that timeline changes pretty dramatically. Barring any setbacks, we should be seeing Pablo back in the majors this year, back in the Marlins rotation, but there is that chance that he does not come back the rest of the season, which makes this an ideal time to dive into what we saw from Pablo here in 2021. It was his fourth major league season overall. I guess it was you could call it his third full major league season, depending on what do you think about 2020, because he was in the rotation from start to finish in 2020. Um, to me, this was his best season. This He's pitching better than ever here at age 25. You dive into the numbers, and they look almost identical to what they were in 2020, but uh, to me, when you really dive into it, I feel he's made even more growth as a pitcher. You absolutely love to see it as a guy that continues making adjustments and continues getting the most out of himself. Some of those stats from this year, a 3.03 ERA, a 3.21 FIP, fielder independent pitching, a career-high 27.1% strikeout rate, and that has continued to improve every year he's been in the majors. Only 33% hard hit percentage on balls in play allowed. That's a great number compared to the league average. He totaled 101 in a third innings pitched in technically 19 starts, but you know what one of those was. It's, it's 18 starts for those 101 innings, which means he averaged more than five and a half innings per outing. In which by today's standards is above average as well. Diving into his pitch mix, he's known he's been known ever since coming up for that pretty changeup he has that he likes throwing against both lefties and righties. And his usage on that changeup, once again, a career high. He threw it nearly one third of the time, 32.6%. That has continued to go up every single year. You'll remember his game right before the All-Star break, which as it turns out, may have been his last game of the year and certainly his last full game before this injury, he got most of those strikeouts in that with his changeup through those first three innings, nine strikeouts in a row to start the game. That was an all-time modern day MLB record and five of those nine strikeouts on his changeup. Another maybe under the radar adjustment that Pablo made here this year was with his cutter, a pitch that I don't think he even had when he debuted for the Marlins back in 2018, but his usage on that Overall, like about 13, 14% of his overall pitch mix, but in particular, he found a lot of use for it against lefties. Most of the ones that he he threw were against left-handed batters who have that platoon advantage, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he had more success against lefties this year than he ever had before. You know, he's a guy that, like a lot of pitchers, had noticeable platoon splits for much of his career. This year, really took a big bite into that. In fact, I think he had some reverse platoon splits when you add it all up. And that's thanks in large part uh, to this cutter, a high 80s, occasionally 90 mile per hour pitch. And he did indeed have reverse platoon splits this year, faced almost an identical number of righties and lefties, about 200 of each. And the key with lefties is that he kept them in the ballpark, only allowed two home runs to over 200 lefty batters faced and uh, his strikeout rate was a lot lower, but he just did a great job managing contact against these left-handed batters and keeping them in the ballpark. I mean, that's it. Just with nothing more needs to be said. That is a really surprising development that he now has that weapon, and he's less predictable against left-handed batters. His fastball velocity was pretty much exactly where it has been in recent years, averaging 94 miles per hour, occasionally touching 96. I think he may have 
in a couple instances reached 97. What I noticed more so than the velocity is his location of his fastballs. He has more consistently been placing that four-seamer up in the strike zone where it plays great. Um, That's where you get your more swings and misses. That's where you get more pop-ups if you get that pitch above the zone. And as it turns out, you could get a lot of chases as well. Like Hitters will offer at that pitch and more often than not come up empty, especially if you are in the right count, as long as they're not sitting on that particular pitch. So you can actually see it. It's really well visualized on Baseball Savant, which is part of StatCast, where it has a heat map of where his locations of his individual pitches have been from one season to the next to the next. And you can see those fastballs migrating up in the zone and now to this point where he's getting a lot of them above the zone as well. So it's not a coincidence that that pitch is working a lot better for him. Very early on in this year, there was this uh, pretty big chasm between his home production at Lone Depot Park and his production on the road. Still pretty big platoon splits once we got to um, the end of the year. And even historically with Pablo, he he's a guy, let me just pull these up for a moment. I believe his ERA on the road compared to being at home is nearly doubled for his career a 295 ERA at home a 562 ERA on the road it's been very unusual in that there is a big gap in the sample sizes there he's pitched a lot more often at home and maybe that's why that production at home more closely resembles his actual talent level So that will still need uh, another season to even out, regardless of whether or not he makes it back before the end of the year. You really break it down. He's not a different guy at home. Like, he's still pitching the same way. The quality of stuff still is the same. He just has more of these blow-up games on the road this year. uh, I think all but one of his mediocre starts, statistically, those came on the road. Not sure there's really any rhyme or reason to that, but sample sizes at this point are pretty large. And that's something that I guess you'll look forward to moving forward. If there's any way that Pablo could possibly improve as a pitcher long term, that's one thing you circle, I guess, uh, is finding a better routine on the road, finding a better comfort zone. Uh, Despite having a lot of success this year, as I said, a career high in strikeout rate to really support, uh, to make this seem really sustainable, he still has not had a single game in his career where he reaches double digit strikeouts. Sandy has reached double digits a couple times. Trevor, who has not even been around as long, has gone into double digits several times in his career. Pablo, this season so far, nine strikeouts on four different occasions. He can't quite get over that hump, including in his most recent start, where he you know, he struck out nine in the first three innings and he couldn't get that last one to set a new career high in that category. That does put a little bit of a ceiling on him if he... Uh, unless he makes another adjustment to his stuff that he thinks he could get more swings and misses. I remember entering spring training this year, he was talking a lot about the progress of his breaking ball, his more of a curveball that he's been throwing throughout his career, but uh, not really getting a whole lot of results on it. It's more of a show-me pitch. So that was a big focus of him entering this year. To be completely honest, um, it didn't really make much of a difference. Uh, the results that he had this year, a lot of it was trusting his changeup, locating his fastball, using that cutter against lefties, as we reviewed. The curveball really didn't make much of a leap once the real games got underway. Uh, so, so that's potentially another area that you want him to work on uh, as he's coming back. And if you dive into his splits uh, a little more, he continues to perform better when he's throwing to 
catchers other than Jorge Alfaro. This was a big storyline last year, of course, when Chad Wallach usurped Alfaro as like the main catcher for the Marlins down the stretch when they absolutely need to win games. And last year, Pablo had very extreme splits depending on whether he was throwing to Wallach or Francisco Cervelli compared to Alfaro. And there's still, again, some differences in performances here. Uh, I don't know exactly what to do with that information. Um, unfortunately, we'll get into this, obviously, in episodes down the stretch, is that Alfaro is once again in another bad slump, and his season overall makes it a serious question as to whether he's even back with the Marlins in 2022. Um, but So maybe that takes care of itself, and they find a better battery mate that Pablo trusts on a more consistent basis. That's something to uh, iron out moving forward. The bottom line with Pablo is that he performed like a number two starter this year. For whatever reason, that phrase seems to have almost a negative connotation with some people. They're like, oh, his ceiling is only a number two starter, or uh, you want to gravitate so much to aces. You're always in chasing the true aces out there that people take it for granted when they have somebody like Pablo. As much as we all have noticed how the Marlins really do a great job developing young pitching into being starting pitching and why that gives you a lot of confidence in the organization moving forward, um, to say that any of those guys is a surefire number two is a stretch. Let me just put that into perspective, that Pablo is that number two guy and you can't really count on that from any young pitcher coming up through the system, that this is a really high bar to reach. These guys in free agency, a number two guy, you're making more than $20 million a year on your neck. And, and we're going to get into that in a moment about Pablo's future and what this means for that, having this injury setback, that this guy, he's not totally irreplaceable. He's not totally untouchable for the Marlins moving forward, but he's awfully close. This show presented by our partners at Symbol, the stock market for sports. Here at Fish Stripes, we've been partnered with Symbol all season long, where you can trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when those teams win. Use your knowledge about MLB teams, NFL teams, NBA teams, and just beginning this month, college football teams are up there too. Dozens of them that you can invest in. Use the free market analysis that is up on their site, breaking it down, getting you comfortable with that platform from the get-go. Join more than 2,500 early adopters who have already started to invest. Symbol.app, www.simbull.app. Go to Symbol.app to create a free account. Make your first deposit with the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, FISHSTRIPES, and you get a $10 deposit bonus right away. The current Sim Marlins share price is still at $27.63. It's one of the lowest it's been uh, for most of this regular season. A good time to hop in. Visit Symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES to claim that deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. What the Pablo injury does for the short term, is it takes him out of the equation as a trade chip. I've seen way too many of those ideas floated out there. I'd say more so from the fans of other teams dreaming about getting Pablo, knowing that he's arguably better right now than any of the other available starting pitchers on the trade market. So he would have been highly desirable, and teams 
willing to give up almost any of their prospects in order to get somebody like him. But at the same time, it would not have made any sense from the Marlins' perspective to trade him. If they're still holding on to this idea that next year is going to be a contending year for the Marlins, if they're still building towards that, then Pablo is a perfect guy to have in place uh, for right now. This was his final year of pre-arbitration eligibility. Just to be totally clear, he continues to get major league service time even when he's on the injured list. He's going to qualify for arbitration for the first time in 2022. So after earning the league minimum and or fairly close to it all his years in the majors so far, he finally gets to cash in with a seven-figure salary. What exactly that will be will depend on whether or not he makes it back by the end of the year. I'd say at the very least, he has three plus million dollars if not four coming his way next year and he can continue to grow that you know based on his counting stats uh believe it or not pitcher wins is still a big factor and pablo has not gotten much run support this year which is holding him back only five wins uh prior to this injury and his career high is actually six so that's that's unfortunate for him but like all things considered the hope at this moment that's not a serious injury, that surgery is not a possibility for him, that's a sigh of relief, and it's good to have some security finally coming to him uh, next year, almost certainly with the expectation that the Marlins are going to bring him back, but it's not a guarantee, it's something to look into uh, over the offseason, it really depends so heavily on how these other next man up do with this open rotation spot. There's actually several open rotation spots right now, and there'll be probably another one before the end of the year when Trevor Rogers finally has to slow down his workload. Uh, So in Pablo's rotation spot for the near term, he was supposed to start on Sunday, and in his place is Braxton Garrett. We'll have, you know, the recap of how Garrett does. He's just getting started as of this recording, where Braxton Garrett was looking all right in AAA, so they'll see if those adjustments stick at the highest level. Some other names that you've seen in the majors already this season, uh, because the Marlins have set a franchise record already this season by using 14 different starting pitchers. Never been done before, and we're not even at the 100-game mark. You should be seeing Nick Neidert up in the majors in a matter of weeks, whether it's in this rotation spot or the other one or for a variety of reasons. We'll see Nick Neidert again before the end of the year. You'll see Jordan Holloway again, who continues to do great out of the bullpen. For whatever reason, doesn't click the same way when he's actually throwing the first pitch of the game, but he'll get other opportunities because he was, this past weekend, he had an amazing outing, five hitless innings against the Phillies. Then eventually down the road, we have Eliezer Hernandez should be approaching the start of a rehab assignment in the next week or so as things are trending and he's eligible to come off the injured list the first week of August so you'll see Eliezer back in there I think Daniel Castano could still be back before the end of the year uh remember Paul Campbell Uh, very few people have uh, mentioned Paul Campbell to me obviously the Marlins rule five draft pick who is suspended for PEDs an 80 game suspension but that's only half the season. He's been out since the first week of May, and he's eligible to return in the first week of August, right around the same time as Eliezer. Not sure what the Marlins are going to do with him. My initial thought was that they would just cut ties because he hadn't been performing well, and uh, because this is, you don't generally want to like uh, endorse guys that have used PEDs or have somehow had PEDs show up in their body one way or the other. We'll see. I mean, that's something that will be addressed after the trade deadline, whether or not he gets any of these, you know, filler starts 
And of course, the I mean, the biggest name that you're looking forward to is Edward Cabrera, who, as of this recording, is about to make his first ever start at the AAA level. The expectation is he will be called up before the end of the year, health permitting. He'll have to perform at AAA a few times. He was performing great at AA before this latest promotion. His stuff is absolutely extraordinary. Three pitches that all vary from being plus pitches to being elite pitches, and he has improved his control of those. So he has control. He uh, he has a long frame and a long delivery that the perceived velocity of his pitches could be even better than the actual velocity of it. He is so exciting. One of the big things to look forward to as we get closer to the end of the year. The Marlins have a lot of these bodies to throw up and see who sticks. And of course they have, you know, even the lower profile guys hanging around at AAA, like Sean Morimondo, Josh A. Smith, etc., this gets back to the fact that they weren't going to trade Pablo anyway, because just entering his arbitration eligibility, three full years remaining of his team control, uh, according to baseball trade values, which is a site I use often already, they'll be using every single day between now and the deadline and probably after the deadline. Uh, Pablo is as valuable a player that the Marlins have in their entire organization as anybody. According to baseball trade values, it's Pablo and it's Trevor Rogers, and they are essentially tied. $83 million of surplus value when you combine their projected performance and their projected earnings between now and free agency. He would command a huge haul, and he'd command from haul, a haul from a team that's trying to win. If the Marlins are a team that is trying to win uh, anytime in the next couple years, forget, not even 2022, if in, in the next couple years, then Pablo should be here. He is not easily replaceable. Just because you have all these other arms in the system does not mean any of them are going to reach his same level of performance. They're not all going to pitch to a three ERA. It's possible that none of them really pitch at that level consistently. It is hard to develop the deep pitch mix that Pablo has developed to have such consistently good control and throw strikes and be efficient with your pitches. He's not a perfect player by any means, as high as I've been on him throughout his Marlins tenure, I did point to the fact, I, I think I've mentioned it before, that we didn't know how he would hold up over the course of this season because he's never been in this situation before. 2018, he started the season late due to a shoulder strain. 2019, his season was interrupted midway through due to a shoulder strain. 2021 now, his season is interrupted again due to a rotator cuff strain that has some similarities to those previous injuries. He, he does not have a durable track record. The biggest indication of future injury, the biggest factor that you put in there when predicting whether or not somebody will hold up is past injury. That's unfortunately the reality with him is that you really can't count on him making 32 starts in a season, but the list of guys you can actually count on to do that is extremely small. I mean, in the Marlins organization, that, that list is one guy, it's Sandy Alcantara, and his performance, to be frank, uh, lately has been a little bit uneven. Like The idea that Sandy is definitely the better pitcher than Pablo moving forward, I think that is very much up to debate. It's a conversation for another day. So we finish off, obviously, with, you know, best wishes to Pablo. We hope that this is very brief shutdown time, and then he's able to ramp back up to be, to a full starter's workload. My guess, this is, you know, total guess, is that we see him back in the first week of September, that he's out 
you know, six, seven weeks, and then when rosters expand at the end of the year, uh, he'll be ready to be a starter again. He'll make a handful of appearances towards the end of the season, and the Marlins will have some interesting decisions to make based off that. But for someone that still has three full years of team control beyond this year, three and a half, I guess, at this very moment, that there's no pressure to get rid of a guy like this. For everybody that's demanding that the Marlins get more bats into their organization, uh, I mean, they did put a lot of draft capital towards doing that this past draft by selecting position players throughout throughout the first six rounds or so. Um, if you want to trade from your pitching depth to reinforce the offense, you do it by trading some of the unproven guys. They have a lot of talented but unproven players that are some that are the same age as Pablo and some that are only slightly younger. You trade from the unknown if you want to get a surefire offensive improvement. And I don't know if those trades will happen at the deadline. Um, you could feel it's pretty likely that a trade like that could happen during the offseason. That's because they need some help for Starling Marte or they need a potential replacement for Starling Marte. With the low likelihood that an extension gets done, I've given my two cents. I, I hope they consider bumping it up to a three-year fully guaranteed deal because we have discussed this in, in depth before. There's simply nobody waiting in line to fill Starling's shoes, and there's no obvious target outside the organization that you feel confident either about producing at his kind of level next year. So it would be great to keep him around. People love the continuity. It'd be something to feel good about because this team, even in the middle of July, it's obvious at this point that they are not going anywhere in terms of being a contending team. They need... Uh, they need to have some pieces in place for next year. They need to start already preparing uh, to bounce back because this has been a disappointing year. Um, some reasons in their control. Others, there have been some bad luck working against them as well. That's uh, You know all about that stuff. We're not going to retell it all right here. I really hope they find a way to keep Marte around. This is going to be a saga that we'll have updates on virtually every single day between now and and the trade deadline. I've been Eli Sussman. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to check out our site. We'll, we'll have coverage of uh, Sunday's game and some interesting events already breaking from uh, Sunday's game. Jazz Chisholm suffering an injury. Oh boy. <laughs> it's going to be a lot to cover with this Marlins team, and we hope you stick around with us at Fish Tribes. Subscribe to the pod wherever you get the pod. Rate and review if applicable, please. And uh, there's going to be so, so much to cover with this team, regardless of whether or not they're in playoff contention. Thanks, as always, Marlins fans. Go Fish! Go Fish!